Hopefully you have your outlines again. Oh yeah, maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. That's a little bit lower. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Despite my weight, I try to get out to walk fairly often. Less so in the winter, but when I do, it's about a two and a half mile walk or I'll just take. And, um, I feel like it's right in my nose. <laughs> oh yeah, there we go. Okay. So it's about a two and a half uh, mile walk I'll take, just slip in some earbuds and I don't realize I've been exercising until I get home and take the earbuds out. Uh, you know, I could do more, but I tell my lazy self, at least it's something. But as if I didn't know, I'm always still struck with how out of shape I am from time to time when I am forced to run or sprint. So my six-year-old son earlier in February and I, we were playing around the house and church right next to each other in the dark, and he was on his bike, and the snow was like a foot. Pretty sure if there was like a moat of mud around our house, he'd still get his bike out. <clears throat> so we're, we're riding around, and I'm chasing him. Well, he hides behind something, and then he pops out, and he scares me. And so I figure it's game on. So somehow I get a lead on him. He's turned around on his bike, so he's turning himself back around slowly. And I run around to the front of the church to hide behind a wall. And I realize I may have found a place out of sight, but my breathing sounds like an asthmatic dying cat. And um, he's going to find me in no time. I'm super out of breath. All of those two-and-a-half-mile walks do nothing in terms of stamina. Uh, and I only sprinted for like 30 seconds or so up a mild incline at best. And I have no breath. See, I'm conscientiously, I'm, I'm trying to train my body for good health, but I'm doing the bare minimum. Hold on to that thought. We are in Ezekiel 37, and uh, I, I gotta say, when I sat down and, and divvied up Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14, into four parts, my first attempt on these two and a half verses here, uh, I wondered if I just shouldn't just tack them on to the rest of the text. But we do note something here that Ezekiel, the author, the Holy Spirit, seem to be going out of their way to tell us <clears throat> about a significant point <coughs> concerning this miracle, <coughs> excuse me, of bring, <clears throat> bringing dry bones <clears throat> back to life. I invite you to stand one more time if you're able. <clears throat> yes, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 again, because I know you forgot it already. And then we're going to be examining the second half of verse 8 through verse 10 together. <clears throat> we read, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you that you may come to life, and I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you, 
and cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, sinews were on them and flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves and caused you to come out, come up out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you, you say your word does not return to you void, but accomplishes it, the thing for which you sent. I pray for open ears, open hearts. I pray for your voice to be heard. I pray for obedience. pray for your grace. I thank you that when the Lord Jesus came on earth, he did no ministry. All he did was come up out of the water and you said, you are my son and I am well pleased with you. Father, we don't need to do anything to earn your favor. Thank you for that truth. You're well pleased with us in Christ. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. These last verses we just read, we cannot escape the context of what Ezekiel is hearing, what the vision means. This is Israel. These dead, dry bones are Israel and the resurrection of dead, dry bones. A valley, which is about as exciting and threatening because it's a graveyard, becomes threatening, exciting, and vibrant when God revives and and resurrects such a state of people. Ezekiel is hearing the news that when Israel went into exile and thought that their nation, their hopes, their future, yes, likely even eventually their very existence as a people were gone, God is saying through Ezekiel, it's not, your future is secure. As the author of Hebrews intimates, they can be assured of things hoped for, and convicted of things not yet seen. So there is hope to the exiles in in Babylon. Though Israel has been conquered, their temple burnt to the ground, their culture basically skinned and scalped, perhaps God is saying, here not only will you resurrect as a people, but my spirit will return to you. Your lifeblood of Yahweh in your veins will return. 
Indeed, the exiles return home with Ezra and Nehemiah. And before too long, Israel becomes an independent nation again until Rome conquers them. But we also can't escape the overall reality of what Ezekiel says. It seems evident that Jesus and people like Paul preached in the New Testament that God also resurrects people. Just as Jesus is resurrected, so we will all. That's the point of 1 Corinthians 15. Spiritually and physically, we shall resurrect from a life of deadening sin, slavery and rebellion, and made alive with Christ to life with freedom and faith and obedience. But as I come to this section, though, to this reality that, again, miraculously the bones came back together, the flesh, muscles, sinews have intertwined seemingly from nothing and are making people. But then Ezekiel, presumably the Spirit-inspired author, he notes a distinguishing truth. He notes a distinction between resurrection and then what's missing. Listen again in verse 8. And I looked, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And if you can recall from this morning, this word breath is that one Hebrew word that can be breath, wind, or spirit in English. So there's no breath, no wind, no spirit in the bodies. Interesting. Now, the miracle of raising these bones back into flesh, bones, sinews, already surprising and miraculous enough. Right? Like, Like, way to go, Ezekiel. Way to go, God. You're bringing these back to life. Way to go, Peter. You got out on the water and you're walking. But what is God and what is Ezekiel saying here? Is, is, just, is this just the way of the narrative? It's just step one, step two, step three. Or is there something deeper here? Is there a reason? I mean, let's just look at Genesis 2-7, which Ezekiel seems to be borrowing from. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and a man became a living being. Did you see that? At step one, took the dust, made the man, immediately breathed into him the breath of life. Boom, done. But back in Ezekiel, here in Ezekiel, raised the dead, sinews, flesh, skin, but then there was no breath in them. Pause. Are you seeing this? Resurrected bones with no spirit. At least... At least Roy's tracking. That's all I need. So, what's up with that? Before I go any further, I also want to say this too. I think I'm about to make some spiritual implications that this text led me to, but I cannot say that it's what this text's original intent was. I don't know if it was or not. But we're going to see that just how God told Ezekiel to not only see the dead bones, but then prophesy to see them revived, that God will also tell Ezekiel to prophesy to the breath or to the Spirit. And I wonder if on our spiritual walks that sometimes we're putting in two and a half mile walks, but we're really winded when push comes to shove. You know what I mean? I mean, I wonder if sometimes we're resurrected. We understand that we should die and should rise in newness of life, but that's where the understanding stops. We get blessed assurance, we got Bibles, maybe we go to church and we 
support Christian causes. But are you fighting sin? Are you getting victory over sin? Are you pursuing God's call on your life? Are you doing, being, running for the kingdom and for kingdom purposes? Is your life not based on what you avoid? Right? A bad shows, bad habits, bad language, bad places. But is your life like Hebrews 11 based on what your faith made you do? Because if not, I wonder if we're revived bodies with no breath or no spirit. Whether we're supposed to see in Ezekiel a picture of a people who don't have the Holy Spirit or if it's just another echo of creation, we see next God's answer for revived, resurrected persons devoid of the breath or the Spirit of life. It's the same as what was necessary to revive them in the first place, to prophesy, the Lord says to Ezekiel. Look over again, verse 9. He says, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. You know, this whole passage was tripping me up, and I usually frequent about, you know, five study Bibles and three to four commentaries, and nothing was really helping. So, like a good Christian, I bought another commentary, and that didn't help. And then I went online, and I found this old, famous commentary that I usually don't use at all, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, first put out in the 1870s. And they said, this pause, again, the pause between the resurrecting of the bodies and then the Spirit may imply that Israel hereafter, as at the restoration from Babylon, was the case in the part, shall return to Judea unconverted at first. Spiritually, a man may assume all the semblances of spiritual life, yet unconverted at first. Spiritually, a man may assume all the semblances of spiritual life, yet have none, and so be dead before God. We see in the Old Testament that eventually Israel is allowed to come back from their exile. After that video last night, 70 years or so later, a king, Cyrus, he's favorable to the Israelites. He lets them return, but not all of them return. And for those who do return, we hear prophets like Haggai write prophecies like, what are you doing? You're back in Israel, but the temple is in shambles. You were allowed to, to come home and to worship Him. In other places like Susa, you have bumbling sinners like Mordecai and Esther just sticking around well after the decree, 50 years it's believed, after the decree that allowed all the Jews to return home was made. You know, that prophet that we saw in the video, he prophesied while the exile was beginning. He said, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place, Israel. Then you know this verse, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me and when you search for me with all your heart, And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and bring you back from all the places 
where I have driven you, declares the Lord again, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. God said that through Jeremiah. In other words, there will be a day when you can return home. And that day came and some Jews returned home. But Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, plus the prophets like Haggai, who they, they all communicate that God isn't pleased with their lack of efforts. Their, God isn't pleased with their efforts to worship. And it shows us that maybe they're like dead bones who've received new bodies again, but just not breath, just not a spirit. You know, I have what I like to call a boring testimony. It's a really good testimony to have, but I, I'm also a bit prudish, a bit cautious. I was the goody two-shoes. I mostly kept my grades up, nothing but below B pluses, except for math. <laughs> didn't party, didn't do drugs or drink. Uh, was a churchgoer. I won't say every time the doors are open, but for the most part, Christian, functioning, family. And though I don't have a conversion story, I do have stories of spiritual deadness. I have stories of where Christianity was just part of my identity, maybe just like coffee drinker, Linux and Techie Nutter back in the day, Batman fan were all parts of my identity. But God says right into this condition where the Israelites in exile found themselves in this same dead, dry bones of the valley, there's another prophet he speaks through. His name is Isaiah. Hear what Isaiah says. But now thus says the Lord, your Creator, O Jacob, and He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you I have called you by name. You are mine, says God. It's not from my vantage point, Lord, you're my God. But rather, it's God saying, you're mine. This same chapter, Isaiah 43, God says, Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Do you hear the ownership in that? It's not that God, church, Christianity are all parts of my identity. It's that we, mankind, His sons, are part of His worship. We're created for Him. Verse 21, same chapter, the people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. And so all this to say that though I don't have an exciting testimony, I do have a time where I woke up in my Christian walk and I began to take some things seriously. Men, wherever you're at in your journey, even to the pastors, including myself in this room, to the guy who's really regretting saying yes to his friend about coming to man camp, I say this. God wants more of you. God wants you to surrender more. God wants you to give up more. To be open to Him more. It's not that God really wants you to ask Him to be your Savior, and if you haven't gotten there, make that happen now. But it's not only that. God wants more of you. I've given so much, says the pastors. Give more. God wants you to submit to Him as Lord. 
He's not part of your identity. He is where you find your identity. Let me put it this way. God did not come to earth to serve you by living the life that you should live and dying the death that you deserve to die. God did not die so that you can say yes to Him and then go about living with a resurrected body with no spirit. God did not come literally to suffer the wrath of God, to bleed and die so that you could have a payment of debt, a clean slate, and just try to pretend or put a facade of godliness and hope you make it out without losing salvation. No, God wants more. He wants more. Paul writes in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. In view of what God has done for us, it's only reasonable that we become living sacrifices. And if we want to become a living sacrifice, we can't have a dead body. We need God's breath in us. That's the beauty of God, that what He demands, He provides. And so He tells Ezekiel not only to prophesy to these bones to become bodies, but prophesy to the breath, Son of Man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they might come to life. The four winds is likely implying after exile, to come from the four corners of the earth, whatever they're scattered. And spoiler, this will include Gentiles, which is a fancy word for non-Jews, through the saving work of Christ. It's not why God's just calling Ezekiel to prophesy to the east, where the Israelites were at in relation to Israel at that time, but He's telling to call on them from everywhere and breathe on the slain that they might come to life. Do you want life tonight? So I prophesied as He commanded me. And the breath came into them and they came to life. And they stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. In creation, we know that the Lord spoke everything into existence. Now you can argue about the science of it all, but great. But the Word of God gives us this picture, however it happened, that God literally spoke everything into existence. Hence the prophesying and speaking that Ezekiel does in this vision, raising dry bones into bodies, and then speaking the breath or the Spirit into their bodies. Here's the thing. Here's the simple thing what I'm saying. God brought you here for a question. Can these bones live? Whatever your valley is, whatever your dry bones are, whatever it is, can these bones live? And as the dry bones come back to life by the Word of God, I encourage you this morning to use the Word of God and breathe life back into your dry bones. Whether your dry bones be sin that you should combat against with the Word of God, whether your dry bones be unchaste, God-given dreams that you've laid down, whatever your dry bones, breathe life into, into them by the Word of God. Tonight, you need the Spirit. The Word of God is not enough. You need the Spirit. You need the Spirit, period. Not only to revive the dry bones, but then you need to give the dry bones life. 
whatever you're facing, fighting sin, being the man God's called you to be, whatever dry bones need resurrecting, it will not be doable without the Spirit. But I like what Ezekiel does. I like his obedience, don't you? No matter how weird or how quirky it is, son of man, prophesy over these bones. Okay. And like that, a valley of dry bones is coming to life. Prophesy to the breath. Okay. And like that, the dry bones are being revived with breath and with spirit. And I want to tell you tonight, men, that your dry bones can be these living, breath-filled lives by obedience. What I will say is what Moses says years prior. Years prior from Ezekiel, from, from Christ, Moses says prophetically, for this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you. Nor is it out of reach. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. But the Word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart. Sounds like a guy named Jesus who's the Word. That you may observe it. See, I have set today before you life and prosperity and death and adversity. And in that I command you today to love the Lord your God and walk in His ways. I think I'm off the wrong one. Okay, I just didn't need verse 16. Anyways, maybe I did. We have tonight and tomorrow morning, and then we're headed back to where we came from. And I remember, were you here for last man camp? Raise your hand. Okay. Didn't you like that last message? So like you're like, I don't know, can I say yes to that? It was kind of one of those painfully honest messages from Buddy Holton, pastor up in Coeur d'Alene, and he was saying things like, I don't like the hypocrisy of man camp. You probably don't like my impersonation of him, but I don't like it when a bunch of men get together, realize they have sin, say they'll repent, go home, and within hours they act like nothing happened. And I'm there with him to a degree. I like man camp though. I'm not God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not in charge of anything that you say you'll do this weekend and whether or not you'll carry it out. But what I do know is that what Moses said to his people is true. God says through his Ezekiel and his prophesying, what all this tells us that if, if we're living like dry bones and the Word of God cleanses us and makes us from death to life, and if we're living like empty bodies, doing the bare minimum to convince ourselves that we're His and the Word of God cleans us up and commissions us to go and do and to receive His Spirit and to rise as an army and head out. And the stakes are as Moses laid out. Life or death. You want to exist? You want to live? And so it's not on man camp to make sure you leave tomorrow changed. It's not on your pastor's it's on you. It's on you. Insofar as you're yielded to the Spirit, in God and in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, men, you have everything you need for your vision, 
of your valley of dry bones to come to life by His Spirit. You can take the Word of God home with you. And if you really don't have a Bible, I'll give you one. You can take the Holy Spirit home with you. We'll let Him go, right, Roy? Okay. He's come to man camp, but he's sneaky like a ninja. He can get in every single car and head home. But the scary thing is, is what God says through Moses. He says, see, I have set before you today. And he gives you options. I don't like to give you options, but I have to go with what the Scripture says. He gives you options. Things don't change in the New Testament. Did you notice that Jesus doesn't coerce anybody? He doesn't headlock someone and drag them off? He says, you lack one thing, and then He gives them the one thing they lack, and then they choose rejection. He says, love me more than your families and your jobs, and then people don't. He doesn't chase them. But He says to the disciples, after He said some hard things, like your communion with me has to be so close that they have to be more important than food, even the food we eat at man camp. He says, I'm living bread. I'm living water. And He asked the disciples, everyone has left. Have you not left too? And the disciples say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that You're the Holy One of God. I'm going to make this real simple. What I'm encouraging you, urging is this. You need to come closer to Jesus. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm a real simple guy. But half of the time, my valley of dry bones are my own doing. And with God's power and with His lead, I know what I need to do about it, if I'm honest. Half the time I'm just so distracted with my depression that I don't care to think about the simple things I need to do. And largely because if I'm honest, I just don't do it because it's too hard. If you're like me, here's my exhortation. Yeah, it's hard. Do it anyway. That simple? With Christ... With the Holy Spirit, you have everything you need. And the options are, okay, repent and make the necessary plans, or you can go with option B, keep living in a graveyard and telling myself that I'm alive. The options are life, grace, beauty, wholeness with Christ, because where else in the world is there anything like Jesus offers? Or we can live with death, tragedy, sadness, and emptiness without Christ. I don't need to elaborate, push, pull, nudge more than that. If you choose a dumpster over a well-spread table, that's not on me, man camp, or the Holy Spirit. That's on you. I can talk to you like this because you're men. If you choose tonight that the cliff you're holding on and the Holy Spirit's hand waiting for you is still too hard to grab a hold of and be lifted out, and you'd rather just let your hands bleed, or worse, take the fall, that's not on anybody but you. But the beauty is, is saying yes to hard things Jesus calls us to is never a lose. And the risks the world takes have failure and loss in the balance, accepting the risks that God calls us to has a redemption plan when failure and loss happens. And God even makes success out of failures. So the Word who became flesh came and lived and died for you and me. 
my sins, that Word causes dead bodies to rise again. That Word causes empty bodies to be filled with His Spirit. And that Word is calling you tonight. And the scary thing is, is He's okay with you saying no. But you're not going to get anything else better than what He offers anywhere else at any time. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Amen? Men, can you come back up and get ready for rattle? Why don't I go ahead and pray? Father, the scary thing is is that You leave the option with us. You don't coerce us. Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? Father, I, I wish I could play God and turn on switches and make everybody say yes. But you don't operate that way. So Father, as people realize it's in their hands to do what what it is you're calling them to do. I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would be so irresistible and persuasive that nobody can say no. But that's always up to the men. Thank you for that. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.